Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What a morning, what a week of football, what a perfect day to spend 45 minutes having a chat about our great game. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Gagan Pod, Optus Sports' brand new football podcast. David Wiener with you once again, ready to tuck into all the big talking points. And with me, straight from the couch in the studio, a wealth of Premier League experience, Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen. Welcome. How are you, Bridgie? Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Brilliant. Thomas, welcome. Excited to talk football. That's what we want. And included in those caps uh, is... Richard Bayless. Throw me in there, why not? Thank you, Dave. Why not? We had a sum total of a grand zero, and we will ride that momentum <laughs> all the way. As I mentioned, so we record on Wednesday morning, if you're listening to us, and it's been a fantastic, dramatic morning of Champions League. Rich, you've been up since the early hours, steering the Optusport coverage through it, through, through it for us. Just recap the, an incredible morning for us. Yeah, well, we were riding the emotions of, no doubt, plenty of English football fans, and specifically, of course, Liverpool and Tottenham. Liverpool, our feature game. You know, the tension at Anfield was fantastic. We know about the famous European Knights, of course, at Anfield. Five-time winners and the history that comes with that, and the expectations as well of backing up what they did last season, Liverpool, in making it all the way to Kiev in the final. But knowing as well that even though they were ahead for the majority of the game against Napoli, if they conceded one, they were essentially done because it seemed as though at the other end, Mo Salah, a nice finish to put them ahead, but everyone else had left their shooting boots at home. Sadio Mane had two essentially open goals. He threw them away. The undoubtedly were nerves, I think, at Anfield. Uh, so for us, just sitting there and actually enjoying it was fantastic. Thomas, what is an Anfield cauldron like? A bit of Premier League night, European night, doesn't matter. It must just be an amazing boost for a player and intimidation for a rival. Yeah, but it's uh, Anfield. It's about the history, you know. Like, uh, Richard said, uh, you know, winning the, especially the, the European nights. So, you know, I've I've only been there on a on a Premier League uh, Saturday, and uh, it's definitely daunting there. And and just looking at the pictures and and the traditions, the flags, the obviously the you'll never walk alone before. Uh, and we had this this funny comment from from Dries Mertens about, uh, you know, he he never saw saw the uh, this is Anfield sign. He <laughs> Uh, I'm sure he'll be aware of it now and what it means because it's not the sign, it's what it means. And, you know, I, I must say, he's, you know, walking out there and seeing all the players touching it, you know, it, it's that club feeling, that sense of responsibility that you have as a player. You know, I, I've uh, played with Daniel Acker and, uh, you know, he talks highly about that feeling you have as a Liverpool player. And you can see that on a European night uh, for sure. We saw that this morning. I've got some sympathy for Dries Mertens there because. I can understand why he wouldn't see the sign. Have you seen how short he is? He's a small guy. You have to actually look up at that sign. 
But he packs a punch as a player. And I, I, that actually talks to the fabled kind of history of, of that stadium, that something so sort of simple can be so sort of moving to so many people. Um, Bridgie, onto the game itself. Um, the stakes were so high here for Liverpool, and they've passed another challenge this season. What have you made of their credentials? Because there's been so much talk about how they probably haven't even hit full tilt yet, and they're still doing so well. Um, and some of the stuff that we talked about while watching the game. We think, think about the start of their Premier League, the best start in Premier League history in the league. And to see the group that they were in with PSG, Napoli, it was going to be very tough. But they've somehow managed to get away with it and they've performed and they've won at home. And that is what has been so impressive for me. Their home performances have been magnificent. <laughs> bit of silence there as Bridges coughing a bit for his mic are technique. You, but you if you can hear him loud and clear, that's a bonus. Richard? I think it's fantastic. It, I've been told to rest on my chin. <laughs> so, I, know, I noticed you followed the advice as well. So about to take We're a, you got a nice ice cream on your chin. On your chin. <laughs> <laughs> See, I got distracted there. We're talking about Liverpool. This is serious, but I'm going to lower the mic. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I've been so impressed. And I, I can see them going all the way yet again in this tournament. It's going to be uh, a challenge for them. But the form that they are in, they're just picking up the right time um, in the Premier League. And in the Champions League, I can see them going and replicating what they did last year to get what, to the final. What about their midfield? Is that balance of midfield the one that's going to get them all the way? Or would you still tweak that up a little bit? I had this argument with Paul Ocon this morning when we were on set. And I was saying that I would like to see Kaite in there instead of Henderson. I just feel like Henderson and Milner have got too much, too many similarities. And a little bit more quality in there. In Kaita, the way he plays and gives them that forward feeling so they can play through the thirds, that would be the only one for me. But I, I feel the balance and the, the engines that they do have in there is very, very impressive. Yeah, no, no, I, I think that's where, you know, if you look at the, the way they played this morning, they, they struggled to play through the middle. And, and you know, I, I think Henderson is a, is a really good player. You know, as a manager, he must be a delight to put in there because you know exactly what you're getting. But if we're talking about Liverpool winning the Champions League... I think he's still got some limitations in, in being that. You know, you look at Hamzik from from Napoli, how comfortable he is, and he has that dynamic. I don't see that from Henderson. So I I probably agree with with Bridgie that, you know, if if they're going to win the Champions League, they probably need to tweak that formation a little bit. They did make it all the way to the final though with this squad that make up of players centrally last time, and now they can add. Cater, if he gets it together. I mean, obviously, he was struggling with an injury earlier in the season. It seems as though he's maybe just struggling to get back to his best, but he'll likely get there. And Fabinho has finally sort of started to show that he was a, a decent buy as well. So going into the knockout stage, it'll be hard to argue that they're actually in a better position than they were 12 months ago. And one absolute key, Thomas, is the man between the sticks. <laughs> yeah, no, he came, he came, you know, he's been great all, all season. I think he's been a fantastic addition and worth all the money. Um, but yeah, tonight didn't have much to do for for, for the whole game, and and then one final decision, like one final chance, uh, late late on, uh, spread himself really brave, uh, clever. You know, he as a you know we talked, I talked to Bridgie about it. As a, as a as a goalkeeper, your intention is to to put a bit of panic into a striker. You know, make him make a, a rash decision, not give him time to think, because if he if he had stayed back. You know the striker has a just that's so much more advantageous to yeah, me. Yeah, you have I'll that split decision to, you know, take a touch, and and by him just being really aggressive, really brave, spreading himself. I thought he got a, a little bit of a, a panic um, uh, finish from from Milik, and uh, 
you know, he was in the right spot at the right time and, and earned earned uh, earned them the the win. Because you know, Dave, you can do that when you're a goalkeeper. You can come out with your studs shown in both feet. You can come out with your arms held high and try and close it down. If I'm a striker going in the goalkeeper and I just give him one little touch, it's a free kick against me. So I'm right with oh, the here we, go. Here, here we go. Here we go again. There's the same goalkeeper's same union against the strikers' story. union. <laughs> Protected space. It was an outstanding save. And the difference in this game was Tommy's just talked about Allison in one end making that save that keeps him in it, and then you go to Espina uh, when Salah scored, and he basically didn't cover his near post. He dived and he tried to gamble for the cross. That was the difference in the game from from the the goalkeepers. Yeah, absolutely, money well spent on Allison. That is for sure. Uh, and in, in the Premier League, actually, it's it's quite fascinating because when you look at Liverpool, have the best defence on the table, but when you look at other comparisons like shots, shots on target, expected goals conceded, all those types of things, City are better off. And that's a measure of the fact that Allison is keeping them in games, not just keeping them in games, winning them points. So that that's how the that's a formidable asset for them this season. Bridgie, you were up and about this morning because you were what keeping a very strong eye on matters at the Camp Nou. How big is that for Tottenham and how big is that for Pochettino? It was absolutely incredible. Now I'm going back to ninety nine two thousand and having played at the new camp. It's a daunting place. I was young, I was scared, I looked around the stadium, I didn't know what to do. It was an intimidating place. I was, you know, to, It's a venue that you want to play at as a kid. Now, I remember looking around the stadium, forgetting what was going on in the park. We got absolutely destroyed at Leeds United. I think we were 4-0 down at one point. I looked at the scoreboard with Alan Smith and went, mate, we're in a lot of trouble here. So for, for Spurs to go there and put on a performance like they did today, I know it was a lesson team, there was no Messi, there was no Suarez, Barcelona. You've still got to go and win. I think it's two games that they've lost in all Champions League at home. And when I look at the stats, it was incredible watching the game. Chance after chance for Tottenham Hotspur, controlling the game, winning the possession. I was up and down, bouncing around, and didn't think it was going to be possible when they went 1-0 down from Dembele. But I'll tell you what, the the team spirited performance, Sissoko, the man that I cannot stand, and I think he's probably the worst player that Tottenham have got, has been unbelievable in this game. He's performed the last three weeks as well, so I'm a very happy man and it's a massive result and thankfully Inter didn't get their result, which sees Spurs go through. That visit to the new camp you mentioned when you went there with Leeds, was that the one when you accidentally walked into the wrong room and saw Rivaldo? Yeah, it was absolutely priceless. Um, if you, if anybody that's ever been to the, the new camp, if you go down the tunnel on the right-hand side, there is two wooden doors and it was fascinating. Because lots of our lis- listeners have probably played and lined up in the tunnel well, at the new you know, camp, so they'll, st- they'll refer to that. <laughs> they might be doing a stadium tour, Dave, you know, if ever you get the chance to go over. Pros, ex-pros sitting <laughs> out there. I remember fascination. Curiosity killed the cat, and I want me and Alan Smith opened these doors, and I'll never forget, there was all these candles lit. There was a guy, actually, with his shirt off, lying, well, like, in a, in a praying position in front of um, Jesus hanging on the wall there. And I'll never forget, it was kind of like the most surreal moment as you burst open these doors and somebody's in the moment. And as he turned round, he looked, it was Rivaldo. And I turned to Alan Smith and went, oh my God. He's like, sorry, mate, let's get out of here. And I couldn't believe they've actually got a chapel inside. So the, the players that are obviously religious can go and say their bit before the match. And it backfired because after the game, when I shook Rivaldo's hand and we got beat, um, Rivaldo said, that's what happens when you mess with me and God. He didn't wow. forget it. He was very, very annoyed um, that we'd actually interrupted his session. So if anybody gets the opportunity, make sure you check out the chapel. And I'd love to know if it's still actually there because I'm, like I say, I'm going back some time and it was a really um, impressive, intimidating thing as well. Maybe knock this time. Maybe knock, yes. <laughs> 
Definitely. <laughs> Best bit of advice I can give. Just remember Rivaldo giving the same talk about the day that one of the, the motivational team talks about the day Michael Bridges walked in and rolled him up before a Champions League game. Hey, Thomas, everyone's talked about um, Klopp needs to win something this year and everyone's talked about this Pochettino and the development of this Tottenham team and they keep punching above their weight. What does this say, particularly the stats that Bridges alluded to about the amount they ran in this game, what does this say about the measure of Pochettino as a manager? I think it can only add to his, his reputation. You know, he, you know, it's, it's uh, everyone knows that he wasn't given anything. He wasn't didn't sign any players in, in the summer, and uh, you know where Klopp has spent huge, um, you know, like at Man City and other clubs, and and he he, he keeps he, he keeps producing, and he seems, you know, from what I hear, you know, I know Ericsson uh, very well, and everything that he says to me is that he, he's just a, a man of the players. So. He, he got the the best out of them. They they love him. They they they'll run through a, a brick wall for him, and and uh, you know that just shows that you know money isn't everything. You know you, you need the right man at the helm. Uh, I'm not saying that Klopp seems to be a similar person, but uh, you know to be able to 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 do that at top club and and to produce in the Champions League, like going to to Barcelona, uh, and, and putting on this performance, uh, yeah, speaks. Speaks a lot for him. Tommy, I've got one for you. Have you ever been at a football club in your career where the, you haven't signed anybody in the start of the season, like Spurs have done? I, I don't actually think so. You know, I, you know, now, you, now you're saying it, it's, I don't think it's, it's ever happened. Even though uh, you know, you're in a relegation, there's always something going on. And yeah. So that just adds to what yeah. Pochettino has done to keep them players on their toes. Because I would always have a look to see who was signing. And knowing if, oh, if it's in a striker's position, oh, I've got to got to up my game like when we signed Mark Viduka and then I saw Mark Viduka play and I realised I would never play again because he was unbelievable <laughs> um, but that's another story um, but it, I just can't believe how he still keeps that mentality and drills it in the players to keep them on their toes without bringing anybody and I find it fascinating yeah but there's, there's a dynamic as well that a manager can turn that into his advantage you know it can, it can sort of become us against you know us against the outside world, us against, uh, and and if you if you're clever and use those dynamics, I'm sure he'll get everyone on the same page, and you know we're working together, and and I'm happy with who I've got here. You know that's also. He's also turned a couple of squad players into essentially new signings this season. You mentioned Sissoko. The last month he's been back to his old damaging ways where he's, he's great running the ball. He looks like you'd never stop him. But it's about time. Ex- well, it is about time. But then you look at other players as well. Lucas Moura was essentially a new signing. Harry Winks has taken his game to another level as well. You've, you've got a young guy like Juan Foyt who's been given the confidence to go and play defensively in that team. So he's clearly a very good manager, but he knows what he's got. And that's what's so impressive about him, Rich. Every time um, the, the doubters or the questions come out, he seems to find a way to either prove it on the park or prove it with the, the mentality and giving people the opportunity, like you've just said, to go out there and perform. And I question Sissoko, as a manager or a coach, I would have given given him away or forgot about him a long time ago. Um, Mora came in, didn't have a really good start to his first five or six games, but Pochettino finds a way to give these players the confidence. And it would just be an amazing experience to actually just witness what he does for a month in training, not just the coaching side of it, but how his coaching staff get and deliver their message to keep him on the toes. It's not a bad idea. We might send you over there and just see what he does, not just from the coaching side, but put you <laughs> in his house, two years. in his car, just follow him around. Yeah. I mentioned it a few weeks ago on the podcast when, when they came to Melbourne, and one of the things that was so visible for me when I watched a training session, I, I don't know if all managers are like this, I know everyone's got different styles, but he was right amongst it. 
barking, chasing the players up the field, clapping the whole way, pointing, gesticulating. So he was riding them the whole way. There wasn't an assistant doing that. He was really giving them what he wanted. And I was inspired from the stands. Well, I remember speaking to Ledley King when he came over. He was doing the ambassador work for them. And I said, I've seen that Posh is joining in. He actually joined in a bit of the session. And I said, is that good? He said, oh, the boys really enjoy it because we know where we stand with them. He gives that little interaction. But he did say that he's um, noticed that the gaffers put on a lot of weight. Um, and this this was interesting because that was only a year ago they were here. And you see Posh now. I think the a few of the players were starting to get in his head that he was getting a bit fat. And you see him now. He looks lean and mean again. So... I think it's had an effect now. He's still joining with Trent, so good brilliant, on him. Brilliant, um, And Simeone Mark II sometimes with that great black suit on as well, which you've got to be a bit streamlined to be able to f- get that one. Don't talk to me about fashion. <laughs> you go, go with Tommy. Tommy's the man. <laughs> Gents, we've, uh, we're, as I said, recording on Wednesday. It's Thursday. Just Shakhtar and Leon that's up for grabs for the last spot. So we've seen everyone. We know who's through. It's prediction time. Um, we we want to know who you would back to win, but also who you would want to avoid if you were, um, you know, one of these favourites to go through. We'll, we'll go in order. Who do you think, Thomas? I think a team definitely to, you know, all the group winners will, will, will try to avoid uh, Atletico Madrid. Um, I think they are, you know, under Simeone, you know, incredibly hard to beat. You know, he's got, uh, he got them, you know, they they, they run, the, def- the, the you know, they, they're so well organised. Uh, and, uh, yeah, got a great goalkeeper in, in Oblak as well, who uh, I think... Uh, Saved them a couple of times. Uh, made a great save today, yeah, actually. against yeah. Bruce. So, you know, they, uh, you would have expected them to, to win the group. And, and for any team to get and have to go to Madrid, having to get uh, a result, uh, it's, it's going to be tough. Rich? Well, I think of the group winners. The, obviously, on paper, the club that most would like to draw would be Porto. But you look at the record, and they've gone through in the most impressive fashion. Five wins and one draw. They've been fantastic. They're good domestically. Obviously, you don't want to get Atletico, but, you know... Uh, at this stage, one theme of the Champions League so far is that even the clubs that are struggling domestically, the big clubs, if you think about Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, maybe not having the seasons that expect Roma as well, haven't been very good in Serie A, they're going to go through. The cream tends to rise to the top, and when it comes to the last 16 of the Champions League, there is actually no such thing as an easy draw, um, potentially apart from Schalke, Schalke, who might be the only weak link, really. But by the way, just to throw this, one of the stats out there, is the last time they won two consecutive home games in the Champions League, which they did this morning, they notched up, they made the semi-finals in 2011. So Omens, see, they hit the cutting room floor this morning in the broadcast, so I had to use it somewhere. <laughs> Has there ever been a club make the Champions League semi-finals and get relegated in the same season? It, look, the, the, Leads were a year or two out. I was going to say, we weren't far off many years ago. Genuine question, though. How do you, how do they actually approach this? Because they've got to actually balance a relegation battle with this absolutely maybe once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Well, I don't know how they go about it, but you've got a constant league to stay in the top divisions in your country is far more, for me, um, desirable, or you need, you need to keep in your top division. And I think Thierry Henry at Monaco, he'll be True. probably yep. the most relieved man at this moment in time because Monaco are on a decline to get relegated. They're in absolute no man's land, and I think the he'd be absolutely delighted that his team are out so he can concentrate on the league. So for me, there's um, there's there's big things going on, like you say, at Shakhtar, and I'd like to face them if I was going in the next round. I wouldn't like to come up against Liverpool. Um, or Atletico but I'm going to say Juve is the team for me that I feel could go and win it and wouldn't that be a story because Buffon has been wanting this trophy for so many years 
And now he's at PSG. The so. way draws go, they will get through at some point against PSG if they're to win it. I've got no doubt about it. Just the way this all works. Um, I'm still going to fancy Manchester City. Um, I think it's the evolution of their side. They've been doing this at the moment without De Bruyne, um, without Aguero. They've had injuries and they're still performing well. I know we saw Sari get the better of them on the weekend, but I still think um, they'll be there or thereabouts when the business end goes about. Which brings us, guys, to the next segment. We're just going to talk about uh, various amounts of topics that we can get through. And the first one does lead on City, so I kind of tipped them just for the sake of the flow of the podcast, to be honest with you. But I wanted to throw out a couple of statements and get your reaction to them. And the first one is, and I'll go to you, Thomas, is Manchester City without Aguero are. Oh, it's only 45 minutes. Tell me no, he's hugely important to them. Um, you know, he he, um, he seems to always, you know, get the goals in the big games, and they they need him. I think to, you know, even though they got a fantastic squad, uh, you know, to to really, especially now with Liverpool, you know, not throwing points away, you know, for for them to to be able to do it on both fronts, Champions League and and league, uh, he needs to he needs to be there, and he's shown that for the last. You know, four or five years that um, without him, I think the statistics will 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 tell that, that they're not the same team. Manchester City without Aguero without Aguero are fireless. Well, interesting not, not thing. Quite fireless. Wow. They are slightly <laughs> less because actually their conversion rate with and without him, they go from second in the Premier League with him to ninth without him. He has eight goals in 13 games. So it actually does make a, a metric difference. You know, if you remember last season when he was taken out at a certain point, Jesus came in, or Jesus, came in and started scoring the goals and got them out of a bit of trouble when Aguero wasn't firing this time round, He hasn't been able to do that and replicate mm-hmm. that. So they tried Sterling at the weekend and that backfired. So this, I believe that Aguero this season is far more influential for City, and they are a lot less dangerous without him. It's an interesting twist in the title race, his, his fitness. Rich, um, David Luiz and one-year contracts at Chelsea are? Are inconsistent, I think, both. Obviously, David Luiz has been inconsistent generally throughout his career, hasn't he? I mean, even during his two stints at Chelsea, he's come good over the last sort of 12, 18 months, maybe going back a bit longer, actually, under Conte. But you still don't necessarily think he's the steal that they need defensively. They're sort of gone to the days of Terry and Cahill. They don't really have that hard man as such, and David Luiz isn't really that. But I also think Chelsea's policy of only giving one-year contracts to players over 30 is also inconsistent with reality because what's the big difference between a player at 29 or 30, 31? I mean, if a player is good enough for a club like Chelsea at 30... How can you categorically say that they're not good enough for a two-year deal if they're genuinely part of your current plans? I think it's a, it's a silly policy to have if there's no flexibility in it. It's fair enough if someone's 35 or 6 and looking for a one-year contract extension. That there's will, a big difference. That will put a lot of players off signing there that are coming to that age group, and that's a big thing that goes against Chelsea, I feel, in signing older players when they've got this one-year policy. I think it's absolutely crap. Yeah, I'm, I'm under the same, I think. You know, you want that little bit of security as well, even though it might not be a four-year deal. Uh, definitely, you're still moving your family. Uh, a lot of times, not not a, a lot of players at that age will will come by themselves. So, you know, that's also a massive uh, thing to undertake and uh, for to, to do that. No matter how much you're paid, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of perspective to it. But as a player, you know, you you, you will want a little bit more security and also sort of perspective and respect. Yeah, no, that's also yeah, important. Yeah. Why don't you show us any? 
<laughs> Gaffer. Because you keep touching my leg. <laughs> Bridgie. Um, James Milner, 500 games. Legend. Absolute legend, professional, and a player that was, it was very interesting. I used to room with uh, Michael Dubry and Harry Kuehl at Leeds United, and we were separated. Um, it was a bit of a, a love-hate relationship after that when me and Harry were, were separated from roomies because Leeds tried to do a little bit of a buddy system. I got the room with James Milner and take James under my wing, and um, Harry had Aaron Lennon under his wing. And Milner, I'll never forget, he, he came in, he was a young 16-year-old lad, and you know, I've I've gone through um, my 17, 18, 19 years at Leeds United. Um, I was skinny, ginger and freckly and didn't have a girlfriend until I was about 17. And thank God I found football because then I found ladies. So I was trying to corrupt James Milner and he was having none of it. Milner was like a teetotal. He was straight as a die, straight as a batter and just a true professional. And I'm just delighted he didn't let me tarnish his brain and his mentality. Because I'll tell you, if I had led him astray, he wouldn't have had 500 games in his career. And I've just got to credit the manner of this man of how professional he is. There's a rumour going around that if Leeds get promoted to the Premier League, obviously Milner's out of contract at the end of the season at Liverpool, that he wants to go back. He will happily go back to Leeds. Because he does love the club. It's the club where he came through the system. Having been there with him, do you think he's that type of person that even 15 years after leaving the club he would do that on that emotional kind of connection i think milsey would go back and play for free for Le- burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions for Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tonight, I'll be honest with you, Rich, if he says that he's going to do that. You know, Tommy, you've, you were with him at Aston Villa as well. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he, when he says something, he means it and he's a, he's a massive Leeds fan. And he got his opportunity and started his career there at a young age. And he, I reckon he would go back if Leeds got promoted all day long. You know, the times I, I spend with him at, at Villa, you know, they're similar to, to, to what, you know, he's just a player that comes in every day, uh, works his socks off. Uh, I must say, I, I didn't quite, you know, see him, uh, you know, still young when he was at Villa. He, he was on loan from, from Leeds at that time. Just keeps and, himself to himself, doesn't he? Yeah, but I didn't see him sort of maybe have that career that he's had. You know, I, I saw him as a very good player. Uh, I think he's definitely uh, gone further than, than I would have thought. But, to, to you know, to, to, play, to play 500 Premier League games is a massive feat. Uh, it speaks volumes for him as a person because to speak, to play 500 games, you need to be a, a great person as well because you need to you weave your way through professional football and politics and whatever goes on. And by him conducting himself right, uh, that has also earned him the right to, 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 to be in the league that long. He's a manager's dream as well, Dave, because what he does do, if you ask him to play in a position, he will play it. And there were two years ago, Sturridge was asked to play in a certain position on the left-hand side. And he came out and said, I don't want to play there. I'm, I want to be the striker. He's not a team player. James Milner is hes a true team player and he will play anywhere to get the best. And when he does, he performs. And he's shown that uh, versatility as he's got older as well, which is impressive. And he's got his name on one of the great Twitter accounts going around on social media, <laughs> boring James Milner, which is a, a feat in itself. And if I'd have got 
my way years ago, he wouldn't have had that account. He wouldn't have had boring James Milner. I couldn't corrupt him. <laughs> it could have been a whole different account if I'd have been able to corrupt him, it's but he was your, too good. Oh, your fault, Bridgie. Um, gents, moving on to... It's, it's actually the biggest talking point in the UK at the moment, off the back of the weekend. It's Raheem Sterling at, at Chelsea the behaviour of the Chelsea supporters in the front row uh, with their language at him, the punishment they have received, but most uh, uh, importantly, the social media response Raheem Sterling gave afterwards where he essentially called out the work of the media and the way they can influence perceptions and the conversations in England and across the planet pertaining to colour and race. Um, and it's, it's a, it's, it is the talking point at the moment in the UK. Um, and I want to go to all of you for your perspectives, both as players, in the media. But first up, just your response, Bridgie, to Raheem Sterling's reaction, his social media post. I'm absolutely delighted that he's come out because he's, he's, he's brought awareness to it. He's outed people. And I think he's not just doing it for himself. He's doing it for a lot of people. Now, when you're in, at, in his area in his field and the way he is portrayed in the media, it's an absolute disgrace. The media portray this man as a money-grabbing flash person. And I've never met him, but I've spoke to a lot of players about this guy. He's one of the most humble men you'll meet. Yes, he had a few um, he had a few things when he was younger that he's learned from, um, that went against him when he was 16, 17. But he's learned from that and he's matured. But the media still portray this as the just a, a little bit of a grub and it's so far from the truth um, he's a humble down to his lad that does a lot for his family and what it does then the media tarnish people's interpretations a money grabber he goes there and they're out to get him every other club is out to get him and I, 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 was, a crit I was critical of him during the World Cup yep. for his performances on the field on the field because when he plays for Manchester City he performs brilliantly he was struggling with England but he does do a lot of the work but what has gone on this week I it goes. It's still in the. It's still in the world. It's not just in football racism. It's in the world. But I'm delighted he has come out and out of these people, um, because the the quicker it's gone, the the better for everybody. I just think it's a disgrace. Yeah, but to me, there's a yeah. There's obviously the the racism part of it. Um, but but also the the responsibility of the media. I think he's, he's highlighted this. Uh, they've got a, a huge responsibility of of portraying things. In the right, I've I've been at, at the end of things uh, where, where you actually sit down with a journalist and and you speak you you, you hard and you you give the full picture of, of what's going on, and then it's all turned around and you end up in trouble and you know I've you know it's it's, it's cost me my my starting job at at a club for you know for 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 speaking to a journalist uh, giving him actually. You know, too much info. Yeah, too much info, and they they can pick and choose and and, and pick out the story. Uh, uh, and then there's also that the fan culture. You know, the 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 way. You know, uh, my my sort of feeling from from my time in England that that people maybe in in sport in general. You know, have we're paying to to watch and and we can say what we want. We can we're sort of entitled to abuse people. And and I've been on the end of of abuse uh, as a goalkeeper many many times you know not not racism but but just general abuse uh, but you I, reacted and it cost you as well yeah didn't no it? I, I had I played a game uh, for Sunderland actually against uh, Ipswich at, at the stadium and we were 1-0 up five minutes to go they missed a shot it went down the ball was right in front of the the Ipswich fans walked down to pick it up and there was a it was a dad uh, with a probably a seven seven year old son you know, I can't say on <laughs> on the podcast what they, but they were absolutely abusing me, both him and his son. Uh, and I, without saying anything, I just, 
you know, put my, my two fingers across my mouth saying, like, you should be quiet. Like, don't. And I took the ball, walked back. Two, day, two days later, I got called into the club secretary that uh, I'd been, uh, uh, he had gone, this Leeds, oh, sorry, Ipswich fan had gone to the police back down in Ipswich and, and actually put a, you know, a, a claim in I, that I had abused him and his son and his son was traumatized by the, and, and they wanted a, a public apology from, from my end. And I said, I can't, you know, she was this dad is, is a, it's not a role model. He's, you know, what they call, but, but that's also the story is that he felt entitled. He could say anything to me, but I, you know, well, you without even, even you didn't even say anything, but I didn't even say anything, but then he felt that. So, so this is why I respect what Raheem Sterling has done. When he's been getting racially abused on the sideline in that game, he did not react one bit. He saved it till afterwards to deal with it. He's obviously been, been felt intimidated. It's horrible. I, I can't comment on racism because I've never experienced it, but I'll just go back to when I was younger at um, Upton Park, and you would run along the sideline as a 17-year-old kid, and you'd be getting verbally abused, you skinny ginger dickhead, you know, we're going to kill you and that kind of stuff. It's it's not nice. And you'd get back to the bench and you'd have I'd have twenty gobbies on me back and the players would Niall Quinn and that would actually count and go that you know. It's it's not it's not good, but that is the culture, sadly, that um exists in, in some footballing communities. Yeah, I think there's that element of it. Obviously, the the entitlement within a stadium, having paid good money to feel that you can abuse players. But I, I think the racism element comes from a society problem at the moment where racism and bigotry has been enabled by political movements, social movements that has allowed people to feel, you know what, I can say whatever I want about any minority or any group of people I like. So when it comes to football, obviously that's a, a more direct way of of getting your aggression out or potentially showing that bigotry to players that you feel a fair game. I mean, Raheem Sterling must be one of the strongest players in world football. What, what has he dealt with over the past few years? I mean, and how good is he as a player? He's a phenomenal player. And yet he's dealt with that point-blank range, people abusing him like that non-stop. No way that would have been the first time. That's happened for a long time. And for him to feel like the whole world has been on his shoulders through the prism of the media, which it's very hard to argue that it hasn't if you look at the actual evidence, I think it just shows a big, wider society problem that unfortunately is much bigger than football. And even if somehow football can turn around and find a solution to these daily problems with racism which I think we're all sceptical that they can do that in the short term. It's a society issue, unfortunately. It's how you're brought up. I was never brought up in a racist family, a racist society. Um, and I just think the you know the, the numbnuts that are doing it basically have had parents that have influenced or the, or the people they're hanging around with have influenced and that has been their, their talk. Because there's no way you just come out and say something like that to a player that is in front of you because of the colour of their skin. I, I just find it, uh, yeah, it, it's mind-boggling. But after playing with so many players... Um, over the years um, that have had been racially abused, we had a few at Leeds United. Um, it's it's just not good because it does affect you mentally. And like you say, Raheem still has just handled it absolutely brilliantly. And he seems to bounce back. He lets his talk and happen on the park. He's he's class as a footballer. He's class. And to uh, to hear what Gary Neville said about two and a half years ago, he went to him and said, "Why am I copying this?" I mean, it's two and a half years since mm. where he has not been let up. So. I wouldn't be surprised if he moves abroad. Well, it'd be a good thing for him. Fair play. Yeah, the bravery of, of what he did is, is paramount, uh, particularly when you see how polarising and real the issue is by some of the reaction. We've got some pundits and journos on talk sport throwing it back on Raheem for sort of, you know, excuses after a loss. You've got people now going back at him on Twitter and questioning it back and forward. But I think this is one of the positives of the social media age as well, where the agendas of 
the tabloid media or certain media can get called out by the players having a free expression of themselves. So that interview you gave, Thomas, all those years ago, you could possibly come out if it was today on your platforms and go, no, this is what I said, and you could actually have that. So it's a very interesting change of dynamic, which talks to, as a journalist, your criticism there is something that I think is the most frustrating uh, stereotype of, of my profession. But as someone who's been an editor and a, and a journalist and done interviews and interpreted interviews and got how am I going to portray this, the media has a massive responsibility, um, not just in sport, in wider, but it's big in sport because of the the, the heat and, and the passion that surrounds it. And I think he's done really well to put everyone on their toes because as the media gets more digital, and it's all about clicks and it's all about traffic and it's all about headlines and quick kind of things like that. You can leave the truth on the cutting room floor because of the great headline or the great picture or, or that kind of thing. So particularly something that I grapple with and I have grappled with in past jobs and things like that. And I think the media has an onus to build what, rectify what you said, Thomas. And Raheem, in a wider um, agenda sense, has made a really powerful point. So all credit to him um, from that regard. Now, a change of pace uh, after that very, um, very serious discussion um, to the quote of the week from, from that I've picked out. And it comes from Romelu Lukaku, who's come under a bit of criticism for his form at Manchester United, a 997-minute drought at Old Trafford he had this year. And he revealed that he actually bulked up for the World Cup. So there's been a few pictures go out recently of Romelu Lukaku's size this year compared to last year and he actually gave the interview that said I bulked up for the World Cup and he said quote I knew straight away in the Premier League I cannot play like this Thomas when I mentioned this before you you couldn't understand the tactic of bulking up for a World Cup I mean, what's still going up on? And- <laughs> yeah it's 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 hard to it's hard to believe because you know I've 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 come on the back of a of a Premier League season and and gone into a, a World Cup preparation yeah you do go into a, a you know, a bit of a, a pre-season training camp, and and and, but but it's still limited what you can do. So so for him to bulk up from the end of the season to the start of the World Cup, and with what it takes, you know, I've I've when I remember when I was at Sunderland, they told me to to bulk no, to, to to bulk up, and it, it's something that takes six months, maybe a year. And so, unless he's taking something he shouldn't be taking, <laughs> it's hard to do in in three in three or four weeks. So it, to me, it seems a little bit like an excuse. Uh, he could have probably done a, a few weights and a, a little bit extra, but but not more than that. Bridgie, to another topic. Um, it's not quite. It's just a, something that's happened. Harry Redknapp's one. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here of the jungle in the UK, which is a pretty formidable effort for someone his age. There's everyone's got a favourite Harry story. You've got to have one for us from your from your days in the UK. <laughs> Not a favourite Harry Redknapp story, but the social media, Harry Redknapp's clips are fantastic. I, I love looking at him on YouTube and following what he did when he got hit with a football. But the you know there's a, there's a few things I'm not I, I can't name names, but I do know that Harry Redknapp used to enjoy his teams doing a bit of a quick kickoff. And the kickoff would be, can you kick the ball out of play and pretend you're trying to play the ball out wide into the wing and can you just nail one into the stands? And nobody knew why he wanted an early throw-in for the opposition. I'm not suggesting or, or implicating anything to Harry. I think he's an absolute legend. Um, and I'm delighted that he's won this because he's made a lot, a lot of fans. And he, he's, you know, he's, he's had a lot of cop as well from the media in the past because of things that he's done. Um, but I, I just think it's great. And um, for him to win that was a massive, massive feat. Now, I just had a quick, a quick story of, of sort of telling the, what kind of characters. We, we were with Sunderland 
down on the south coast near Portsmouth when he was manager there. And we were out, we were on a training camp, but we were allowed to, to play golf. We were on the ninth hole or something, and and it sort of came to the a crossroads on on the golf course. And and we actually met up with him, and I think his assistant that was out playing golf as well. And we asked him as locals, uh, you know, where the next hole was, and he pointed us in a direction. We teed off. Uh, and he said, no, no, lads, it's, it's actually this hole over there. So we, we had to walk, uh, I think, I don't I'm not, I was about to say 350 yards to pick up. You never up. hit a ball that far. <laughs> no. Well, we had to, we had to walk out and pick the ball up and, and he was there laughing. And, you know, that's sort of the character he, he, he seems to be. And that, that's also what comes across in the media. I was going to say, he looks like the type of manager. I love managers that are bright and bubbly and can have a laugh. And you see, you know, what they've done for their team, getting the, you know, he got Tottenham in the Champions League. Harry Redknapp, he's, you know, people forget that. He's got a massive, massive trait. And Adel, he's a type of manager you look at and you want to run through a brick wall for rather than his tactics. Well, I hope they... I didn't see the vision, but I hope they presented the trophy to him through a car window. It would be inappropriate if I didn't make that reference. Guys, a bit of trivia around stats and, and, and a quick reaction to it. Uh, Thomas Mohamed Salah, he's scored 40 Premier League goals. He's not set up on the weekend. In how many games? 52. That's correct. High five. I haven't included that in the notes. Well, That's exactly I'll play right. I'll the later on. <laughs> I'm a bit in shock. The, the point of that, in terms of his stature, only Alan Shearer and Andy Cole have been quicker. So that's really amazing. Bridgie, how many teams have considered more goals than Fulham at this point in half a century? Oh, we got relegated twice with Sunderland, so we might be in the mix. Swindon had a shocker. Ipswich. Um, Do you know if to name the team? How many? Because it's sort of points to how ordinary Fulham's defence is right now. It'd be on one hand, surely, wouldn't it? This is the second worst effort. I'll give it away. It's the second worst since 1965. Barnsley, 43 and oh. 97 8. So that's how dire this Claudine Ranieri's challenge is. I thought that Barnsley team was unlucky, though, from memory. I thought they played better than that. That's some good players, I thought. <laughs> they had some really good players, yeah. Um, Thomas, I, just quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just picked up on what you were saying there. <laughs> Thomas, just quickly, um, you've, you've been and lived this kind of experience. What are these players dealing with right now in this relegation fight? Oh, there's so much at stake. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a live or, live or, or die sort of situation. You know, you, you can sense it, you know, it, it, it's you know people's livelihood a lot a lot of players will will be you know significantly uh, worse off financially if you go down you know people will lose their jobs uh, around the club because they have to downsize and and uh, it's not a great it's not a great situation to be in i, I was in it at sunderland i was in it at, at stoke city and um, it's a, it's a horrible bit of pressure so when you see these games end of the season and and you know you see how much at stake you got fans crying you know it 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 is true emotions uh, and as a player to to go through that it it's uh, it's not always great it's great when you when you finished and you've done it and you haven't gone down but <laughs> before that it's it's horrible were you at sunderland when mickey gray turned up in the ferrari when they got when sunderland got relegated uh, it doesn't so this is this is yeah, incredible. Just to just to put it in perspective, Dave, you've asked the question. You're in a relegation battle. This is where some players just don't get it. And Mickey Gray is a good friend of mine, a good mate of Tommy, but he is thick as mince. All right. So you talk about people's livelihoods being on the line and people losing their jobs, not just in the football club. Uh, sorry, all the the tea ladies, the kit women. 
And we got relegated from Sunderland. People are talking about losing their jobs and their wages. And when we got relegated, Mickey Gray went out and bought a brand new Ferrari and drove into the training ground when people were walking out losing their jobs. And I'll never forget Peter Reid's reaction was just like, Mickey, do yourself a favour, get yourself home, hide the car and get the bus in and have some sympathy for the people that are around the club. So like I say, it's you've got to think about other people when you're in this relegation battle. It's not just the team. Next one we're going to move on to is just a quick whip around on the transfer market. Buy, hold or sell. And Rich, don't cheat here because you might know the answer, but it's a leading question. And who's got the... um? The most assists in the Premier League, and then how far behind is Aaron Ramsey? So it's not Aaron Ramsey because you've given away <laughs> that part of the question. Uh, the most assists, uh, it'd be uh, I assume a City player, Chelsea. Oh, Azar. Yeah, yeah. So Ramsey would be probably so, top of the Arsenal pile. Yeah. So Ramsey's third in the entire Premier League, and I bring that up because he is going. So why? I don't know. I think uh, if you're Aaron Ramsey at the moment, he's doing everything he can do. Um, in terms of whether you buy, hold or sell from an Arsenal perspective, look, if, if I think it's fair play to Unai Emery because he long-term planning, he knows what he wants to do. Same with Mesut Ozil. It's good for all parties, isn't it? Because he's given the chance, he's not being frozen out, but he's also adding to his own value. Mm-hmm. So I think from an Arsenal perspective, yeah, if you're confident enough to get rid of a player like that because you're building for the future... So be it. But then, Thomas, head-to-head, buy, hold, or sell Mesut Ozil. Um, you know, I, I've never been a, a, even though he's a good player, uh, I've never been a, a huge fan of him. I, I still think he's he's lacking a bit of consistency, and it, this is something that he's lacking. It, to me, he can be sort of a little bit soft at times, and, and he's definitely, in my book, not worth 350000 a week. Um, you know, if you can get him for, for 100000 150, I think I know the wages have gone up since I left the Premier League. But, uh, yeah, you only have a hundred a week. <laughs> I wish, uh, you know. So, you know, if they can get, I'm sure they can replace him with with someone uh, definitely for three hundred fifty thousand. Interesting, Bridgie, Paul Pogba, buy, hold, or sell in January. Sell, sell, sell as quick as you can. Um, and I just think it's because the friction that's there with Mourinho. I think it's a it's a bit of a toxic environment, the two of them. And I believe Man United are playing better football when he is not on the start in 11. And I just don't think he wants to go out there and perform for Mourinho. I don't see him as a, a, a game changer as well. I see players that you sign for big money are game changers, whether it's an attack or defence, Van Dijk for Liverpool and so on. He's he's tightened them up at the back. Um, I just see Pogba kind of like, uh, it, it's, just, it's just not nice. And I think the quicker they get rid of him, the better. Pretty cool. Interesting stuff. All right. Well, massive week of football, as we said. And once you've listened to this podcast, hopefully get you through your commute. You've got to get through more Champions League, more Europa League, and then we get to the weekend with some more massive and important Premier League action. And incredibly, the Premier League draw has spun up Manchester versus Merseyside twice. So I'll go to both of you guys for a tip on, on one of these games each. Bridgie, Manchester City Everton kicks us all off on Saturday night. Which way? City City rebounding? City are going to bounce back, yeah. And Everton had that, you know, the 2-2 draw. They, they had the, the draw against Watford. I just feel that the the City rebound could be very, very dangerous and, and um, I can't see Everton getting anything there. Thomas, what about Liverpool, man? You throw him Monday. What a way to start the working week. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. Uh, you know, one of the, the big big rivalries, Um and uh, yeah, no, I can't see other than, than Liverpool winning it. Uh, I think United, there's just something missing. You know, we touched obviously on, on Pogba. 
uh, Lukaku maybe not being, you know, maybe coming into some form. But uh, there seems to be something wrong at United and, and Liverpool, uh, like we, we saw saw this morning, you know, they're firing, they're getting the players fit and, and uh, in top form at the right time, now coming into Christmas, all the games. So I, I see that as a, as a home win for, for Liverpool. Plus they're going to have 24 hours more recovery Liverpool than Manchester United when they play. Yeah. Massive. As is, as is Bolton Leeds, Rich. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Bolton almost got a point against top-of-the-table Norwich, a uh, late winner from Timu Puki, the uh, Finnish striker from Norwich. No, Real thorn the in the side of, uh, of Leeds at the moment who are a point back. You threw that at me uh, in jest, but don't worry, I spend a lot of time researching the championship, Dave, and whether or not Leeds are going to get out of there. Bridger, yes or no, will Leeds be in the Premier League next year? They certainly will be. Centennial, yeah, they are flying. Have I just jinxed it? Uh, yes. Yeah. No, they're, they're going to get promoted. And you're not going to Perth I'm anymore not now as a result of that. You've been punished if they don't go up. <laughs> Tell you whether they go one or two. It's that gap between second and third. That's what they've got to keep their eye on the buffer. And I just feel this is your lead, yeah. It just seems like an echo from... From from years and years of things I've heard that Leeds fans <laughs> keep talking about this, but let's hope so. I would love to see Leeds, even though I'm not a fan like like you guys. I'm, I'm I would love to see them uh, back in the Premier. League. Well, you go back the last couple of years; they've been in the top six at Christmas the last few, but they've got, you know, a football hipster's dream in Marcelo Bielsa in charge, the man that both Pep Guardiola and Maurizio Pochettino says is the best coach in world football. He's at the helm. And you look at the championship, by the way, I love the championship for no other reason that there are so many tales of big clubs that shouldn't be there. I'd love to see Leeds, Villa or another big club. Nottingham Forest is a club that people forget about as well. I think there are 17 or 18 clubs in there that have been in the Premier League. Stoke City as well. All right, all right. So we'll have a spin-off Leeds Gagan pod next week. You brought the it up, can, The gaffer can do what he wants there. Now, very good. Very good. Well, that brings us to an end. I can't believe that's 45 minutes, 50 minutes. It's flown by. Could have gone for another 45 minutes. Absolutely enjoyed it. Gents, thanks for hanging around after this morning. And we can't wait to, for the rest of the action for the Champions League, Europa League, Premier League, all the next few days on Optus Sport. A lot going on here and abroad. And until the next Gagan pod, everyone enjoy your football.